This episode of Pop Culture Affidavit is brought to you by the Human Fund. Money for people. Pop Culture Affidavit Episode 70. It's a Festivus Miracle! Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. Uh, this time around, we're, while everybody else is doing a special holiday Christmas-themed episode, I decided to be a little bit different and go for uh, one of the more obscure secular holidays out there, and that is the celebration of Festivus, which takes place on the day this episode comes out, which is December 23rd. So... Today I'm gonna. I've shined up the aluminum pole and I've set it in the corner of my basement here, and uh, I've invited a friend over for all the festivist rituals, and so and uh, he is familiar to all of us on on pop culture affidavit. Please welcome back to the show, my friend Michael Bailey. So, so the fact that I didn't watch Seinfeld all that much is that going to disqualify me from this episode, or is Festivus good for all? I think Festivus, Festivus. I did I did some research on the origin of Festivus. It actually predates the the, the episode of Seinfeld. It's a holiday that was was created by the, one of the writers' fathers back in the '60s. Believe it or not, so it's fine. Festivus and Festivus, I guess, as you, as as you know, the saying goes, is for the rest of us. As it is, so. But uh, before before we get into that, how have you been? <laughs> oh, I have. God, it's been it's been busy. It's it's funny. Last year, I was unemployed uh, through the holidays, and because we had a nice nest egg, <laughs> which I'm allowed to say because I've not gambled it away uh, like Julie Haggerty. Um, <laughs> here's an obscure reference for the holidays. Uh, I, I, I'm employed again, and 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 one of the main things that I do now is I, I print holiday cards and because of this deal with groupon uh i uh, it's so freaking busy at work i <laughs> the fact that i'm getting to sit down and do this is actually part of my relaxing over the past like <laughs> couple of weeks is that I, I i got to i got to read these books and i get to hang out with you and that's uh it's always fun so uh i'm excited that is cool, and I'm coming off a very, very busy, busy time as well. I mean, work is—we're coming to the end of a quarter, but um, uh, I'm in my approaching the end of grad school, so I've been taking two classes at a time, and the semester ended last like everything was due last week. So I'm finally—this is the first week I've had in a while where I haven't had any 
you know, homework to do <laughs> at night. And it's just, it is kind of nice to just sit back and, and do this and everything. Um, so yeah, I've been looking forward to this and, and, uh, this was, this is going to be, this is going to be an interesting episode because we're covering something that, um, I don't think anybody's ever actually really done before. Um, overall Not in our circles, at least no, no. So, um, I, I guess I should explain Festivus a little bit. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that some of the people in our circles, and I'm thinking like Luke and Paul and uh, some of the people who probably did watch their fair share of Seinfeld know what I'm talking about. But uh, Festivus was a holiday that is most famous for its being featured on an episode of Seinfeld from back in 1997 called The Strike. Uh, the premise of the episode was uh, the strike in the episode is something about Kramer having once worked for a bagel place and then – he receives word that this bagel place he worked for like 10, 15 years ago, the strike is over. And now he asked, he's going to go back to work, which, <laughs> which everybody's like, wait, what? And, um, meanwhile, George is, is working at, uh, at this company, um, and comes up with a fake charity called the human fund because he doesn't want to give like actual money to a charity. So he said, or so he says he just kind of, you know, did that. And, and there's this whole plot with, with his company donating all this money to the human fund. Um, and uh, George has to admit about this, this holiday that his father, Frank came up with years ago. And, um, and Frank had come up with it after just being disgusted with the commercialism of Christmas and created a holiday called the Festivus for the rest of us. Nothing, it's a card from my dad. What is it? <laughs> Dear son, happy Festivus? What is Festivus? It's nothing, it's nothing. When George was growing Jerry, up, no. his father no. hated all the commercial and religious aspects of Christmas, yeah. so he made up his own holiday. Oh, and another piece of the puzzle falls into place. All right. And instead of a tree, didn't your father put up an aluminum pole? Oh, Jerry, yeah. stop it. And then weren't there feats of strength that always ended up with you crying? I can't take it anymore. I'm going to work. You happy now? <laughs> I got your message. I haven't celebrated Festivus in years. What is your interest? Well, just tell me everything, huh? Many Christmases ago, I went to buy a doll for my son. I reached for the last one they had, but so did another man. As I rained blows upon him, I realized there had to be another way. What happened to the doll? It was destroyed. But out of that, a new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us. Well, that must have been some kind of doll. She was. Uh, and in the Seinfeld episode, there are three, essentially three traditions. Um, one of which is that instead of a Christmas tree, you decorate an aluminum pole. Um, and then you have a festivist dinner at which you have the airing of grievances followed by the feats of strength. Now, this is derived from something that uh, Dan O'Keefe, who was a writer for um, for Seinfeld, his father Daniel O'Keefe, who was a um, who, who was a uh, a writer and uh, a, and I think was a teacher as well, um, came up with back, and he says it was celebrated as early as 1966 in his family. 
Uh, and according to Wikipedia, in the original O'Keefe tradition, the holiday, would, the holiday would take place to celebrate the anniversary of O'Keefe's first date with his future wife. Um, the phrase, a festivus for the rest of us, originally referred to these remaining after the death of the elder O'Keefe's mother, Jeanette, in 1976, the rest of us being those who were still living. And... Uh, and it never it had it had very variations on it. Um, there was no aluminum pole. Uh, in, in, instead, in 2013, he ta- uh, O'Keefe did an interview talking about how there was a festivus clock, and he said there was a real symbol of the holiday was a clock that my dad put in a bag and nailed to the wall every year. I don't know why. I don't know what it means. He would never tell me. He would always say that's not for you to know. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm going to stop you for a <laughs> because when I was 16, yeah, my dad lost his job, mm-hmm. um, and he, the place he was working at, was basically shutting down. He stayed through the entire shutdown process and got a pretty healthy severance package, but he suddenly he was just home all the time. And one day, uh, after my sister Jane picked me up from uh, from school after she had gotten home from college, we walk into the house, and uh, we had just been talking about how Dad's going a little stir crazy. And I walk into the house, and he's loading baseball caps into the dishwasher, and he tells me to go to the basement and find a tennis ball, and he will not tell me why. Uh, and when I asked him why he was loading baseball caps into the dishwasher, he he's like, "You don't need to know that." And I'm like, so why am I finding the tennis ball? Just go find the tennis ball. So at this point, I just assumed my father had lost his freaking mind. Now, what I later found out is he wanted the tennis ball because he had put a trailer hitch on the back of our Tercel so that when he went to pick up my sisters, he could rent a little trailer. Or like a U-Haul? Like a little U-Haul thing to come get their stuff. Okay. And apparently that is how you clean baseball caps is you run them through the dishwasher without soap. I did not know that. And apparently the, the hot <coughs> thing will clean your baseball caps. But the fact that he wouldn't tell me why led me to believe that he had gone insane. So I <laughs> totally relate to this story. Um, so that's awesome. Um, mine went a little stir crazy after his, he retired <laughs> We're just like he spent a year on. Then he then he went and taught for another couple of years in a private school because you can do that in New York State if you retire from public. You can teach in private. And then he now he's uh, now he does like odds and end carpentry jobs and stuff out on the island because it's like if my father does not have something to do, my father annoys everybody around him. That's why my father's <laughs> retired and yet working almost full time at a golf course. Uh, yeah. So. My my dad does what he calls banging nails, basically. You know, puts up drywall like that. All it's just it's you know it's spending money or whatever. It's just I think it's just that generation in some regard. <laughs> I also think it's kind of showing our age that we're sitting here talking about a retired. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um. So. Uh, the the holiday so the episode came around it came and went it, it's Seinfeld still gets a rerun but it was rerun especially in the early two thousands it was rerun like in, like 
every time you turned around. There was like Seinfeld, The Simpsons, and then earlier episode of Friends were like what was on the sort of syndication block in the afternoon and evening. And um, the idea of Festivus caught on so much that at one point in the very early 2000s, only for a year or two, Ben and Jerry's released a flavor called the Festivus for the Rest of Us. And it was like a gingerbread flavored ice cream. It was actually really, really good, but it was only around for a year or two. And uh, they actually have a, um, if you go on their website, they have, they have three Festivus inspired Sundays that they give you recipes for. One is called the Festivus Pole Sunday. Um, it's, uh, it says the aluminum pole is the quintessential icon of Festivus, a way to tell all who enter your home that you eschew the trappings of the traditional December holidays and celebrate in your own twisted way. Just like this, just like the way this Sunday with, with its unadorned pretzel pole tells onlookers, I won't fall prey to your sprinkles and fudge and nuts. No, I only need a sturdy pretzel to celebrate the season and maybe some brownies because brownies. Then there is the airing of grievances Sunday. Even if yours gathers to celebrate a real holiday, you might end up sitting through an impromptu airing of grievances. That's why we have Thanksgiving, though. <laughs> and then you'll need a Sunday like this to recover, a decadent concoction of chocolate therapy, caramel drizzle, and a dash of whiskey, all served up in a definitely necessary tissue box. And then there is the Feats of Strength Sunday. Three big scoops of Boom Chocolata cookie core topped with a cookie and a lifelike tableau of gummy bears performing the feats themselves. So this this really caught on. And there was a New York Times article that I'll link to where there's just all of these um, different parties that people would hold for Festivus. And so I thought that it would be really interesting for us to do this sort of podcast version of a Festivus tribute. So what you and I are going to do is um, take a quick break. And we are going to have the airing of grievances, followed by the feats of strength. So, <laughs> yeah, you're all. <laughs> what's the line? I have issues with all of you. You're all going to hear it tonight, or something like that. <laughs> so we will be right back. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them and then... Well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. 
Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I am one of those melodramatic fools, neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I give myself the creeps. Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps setting up I think I'm cracking up And am I just paranoid? Am I just up? And we're back. So, um... One of the two major traditions of Festivus is the airing of grievances. Uh, this is basically takes place after the Festivus dinner and on the episode of Seinfeld called The Strike. Frank Costanza begins it with the phrase, I got a lot of problems with you people and you're going to hear about it. I find your belief system fascinating. <laughs> hey, happy Festivus, everyone. <laughs> Welcome, newcomers. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. Uh, it consists of each person lashing out at others and the world about how they have been disappointed in the past year. So what I asked Mike to do, um, and, and what we were going to do, is just, uh, well, we are going to have a good old-fashioned bitch session. <laughs> um, <laughs> we will try to not name names directly. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's throwing shade or not. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm capable of throwing shade, to be honest with yeah, you. It's going to be all tea, no shade in this. Yeah. <laughs> false drag race. So, <laughs> so we, we just, uh, we came up with like one or two that, uh, things that, um, that I think have just generally annoyed us, either in pop culture and the world and stuff. I think we're going to, for the sake of our own sanity and for my email, I think we're going to keep politics out of it for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I was about to say thing, the same thing because yeah. you know, I know you and I pretty much kind of see eye to eye on a mm-hmm. lot of issues. Um, and, and so it, it would be kind of a one-sided conversation. But at the same time, um, there, there is so much terror yeah. with some people when it comes to what's going on. And there are some people that are really happy with how things turn yeah. out. And uh, I'm not going to get in the middle of that right now. So, yeah, yeah well, well I, I kept mine basically just to comics. I did. Uh, I, I kept uh, mine to kind of thing. I kept mine to um, pop culture. So, uh, well, so in your show, so that yeah, it, <laughs> I'm on. I'm on topic for once. Um, <laughs> 
So why don't you get us started um, with, I think we each picked two. So uh, you're the guest here. Uh, your first yeah. grievance. Um, <clears throat> stop telling me that I'm wrong simply because you've been in fandom for five minutes. Um, and that sounds terrible because I think it is important uh, because of how, you know, the, the especially with the films and pop culture in general. I mean, Doctor Who is now a big thing uh, or it always has been a big thing, but now it's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Harry Potter, I think, continues to be a global phenomenon, uh, especially since we've just had a movie come out. And with the, the Marvel movies in particular, starting in 2008, you know, and, and with The Walking Dead being on AMC, you know, comic books are, are kind of at the forefront of, of popular culture in a way that I don't think we, uh, that you and I have not seen in our lifetimes. The closest no. we came was the summer of 1989. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> we were on the cusp and comic scene promised us all these great comic book films. And we didn't get them. I mean, the next summer you had Dick Tracy, which tried to do the Batmania all over again, which is why I will always appreciate that film because God love it. It tried. Uh, and it's, <laughs> and it's a pretty good film too. I, I, I love that movie. Um, but you know, you know, even though the nineties was populated with comic book films, uh, it was, it's nowhere near, uh, you know, none of them popped a billion dollars. Yeah. They were, with the exception of maybe the Batman films, a lot of those nineties comic films, they weren't B movies to be, to be completely honest, but they ran, some of them ran pretty close to being kind of a B movie type of thing. Steel was a B movie. Steel was a television pilot released theatrically. Yeah. Uh, and and Spawn was <laughs> like I, I am just so I'm just so surprised that like Full Moon Entertainment did not do uh, did not do Spawn because it kind of you know, it was New Line so yeah <laughs> I expect more from the house that Freddie built but because of that we've got a lot of new people coming into the fold um, and I have uh, I've had my moments of of like God uh, you know I, I you know like you know like I flip my hair up over my eyes and say I was, you know, into this when it wasn't cool. <laughs> but predominantly, you know, for the most part, I am really trying to like, hey, you like this? Come on, sit at the table. Let's, uh, you know, let, let everyone to have fun. I know you're only going to be here for five minutes, so that's okay. And really, when you look at what the major comic book companies, uh, DC especially last year, really tried to appeal to that that group that is going to be there, get their attention. But in like five years, they're going to move on to something else or they're just going to grow out of it and not really look back. Or maybe they'll look back. Oh yeah, I remember that film. And, but you know, they'll be selling their trades on eBay and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not saying that it, that is, that that's in all cases because as we all, all know, generalizations are always bad, <laughs> but the thing is, is that the, the reason why I don't get into discussions uh, on Facebook much anymore uh, or on social media and why I try to avoid the thing is that inevitably somebody will get into the conversation that is new to the game that will try to tell me what's what. And next year, 2017, in the spring, marks my 30th anniversary of being a comic book collector. Uh, I know you are celebrating that this year. Yes. Fact. Uh, you've got a whole series, which I have backed up and, and I'm going to listen to all in one chunk. Um, uh, but, 
listeners, yeah. I promise the next episode will be longer than 17 minutes. I swear they're getting longer. Hey, hey, some people like that. So, you know, it was you, one, may, you, may, you may get a whole new audience. It was on this one. So it, we're it, at least here for an hour. It was one G.I. Joe and the Transformers comic. There's not much to cover. <laughs> but uh, so I'm not trying to say I'm the king of the hill or I know everything. But I have been around this block enough times to know that my opinion is based on personal experience with either the character or just being a fan. So when I'm upset about something and I'm annoyed about, let's say, a movie that came out in March uh, that I did not hate in the theater but have yet to really, I haven't even sat down and watched the ultimate edition of BVS yet. I, I just haven't. I can't bring myself to do it. Uh, you mean the, the, oh, oh, you mean Wonder Woman and those two guys? Yeah, Wonder Woman and those two guys. Um, and, and the thing is, is that because I feel a certain way, one of two things is going to happen. Either somebody who is new to the game is going to step up and tell me why I'm wrong or I'm not smart enough to see the complexity of Zack Snyder's magnum opus. Uh, <laughs> there's somebody in the background laughing. Uh, um, or that I'm just an old guy complaining. And both of those piss me off because I get what he's saying. I just don't like it. <laughs> and I'm not allowed to like it because I have devoted more time than his... I'm no Mark Wade. But I know a thing or two about Superman and Batman, <laughs> you know, Superman more than Batman. But I know a crapload about both characters. And I have read multiple eras of both of them. And I've got into my head what I think is acceptable and what I want to personally see from both characters in a live action adaptation or an animated adaptation or anything, or even in a comic book, you know, I, mm -hmm. I this is all coming from, uh, you know, my own personal baggage with those characters. I am not telling anyone not to like it. I'm not, it's not that kind of party. I don't do that. I, I, I came up, I, I said something at dragon con this year on a panel and now I have adopted it as a credo. I don't argue taste. Because arguing taste is the dumbest thing you can do. Because how basically, is it, yeah, how is it bullshit to state a preference? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that if if you liked it, then you're wrong. I'm just saying, shut your pie hole when you're trying to tell me I'm wrong for feeling the way I do. <laughs> because respect works both ways, and I will not sit there and make fun of you for something. But if you're going to sit there and tell me that that Martha scene is the pinnacle <laughs> of, of, of depth in terms of characterization, I will point to you the episode of views from long box that came out two weeks before that movie where I looked at, where I said to Sella, you know, has anyone done anything with this Martha thing yet? <laughs> so, it's the only time I have ever been on the ball and it was completely <laughs> unintentional. But, 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 the, but that's what pisses me off is that I, I, I go online and this is why I've like avoided any online discussion of any of the DC television shows, because across the board, I am enjoying all of them. And the fact that now that my DVR is fixed, I am keeping up with all of them, except I don't really watch Arrow. 
I'm behind and I don't really watch Arrow and I pick and I cherry pick Legends of Tomorrow. On the whole, it's been actually really good this season. It's been better. Okay. Because uh, I, I I bailed on the on the pilot, which a friend of mine, Kristen, says I shouldn't have done. But um, I I just you know they, they decided, hey, we really want Mike Bailey to watch this show. How do we get that to happen? Put the JSA in it. Okay, he'll be there. <laughs> um, and the Flash has been the Flash has been so much better this season than last season. I, I, I hate last season, but it has just been better this season. I feel I felt like, and this is a really it's not a really bad pun, and, and it's not a pun that's intentional. I felt like the Flash was spinning its wheels for parts of last season. That, but I still liked it. You know, and, and Supergirl has made the transition to the CW and has just become more of a comic book show than it was on CBS. And I, I, I think most of the reason why I have not gone and watched Batman v Superman again, which I really need to, I know, so I can say that I've seen it, so I can so have a, I. a grander opinion on it. But the fact of the matter is, is that. I am getting all of the Superman I like from current comics and Tyler Hoechlin. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the, the television people gave me a Superman that is the closest in my head of what I, when I close my eyes and I think of this is what I want to see out of Superman. They came within 95% of that yeah. in terms of how they treated that character. Yeah. He was, um, even as Clark, he was good. I mean, he was not, Clark for much of the two episodes. I've only watched the first two episodes this season. Um, but I thought he was phenomenal as Superman. So oh, that scene in Lena's office when he turns on a dime and suddenly he's like kind of asking hard hitting questions. I'm like, yeah, that is totally post crisis. Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. That is more post crisis. Clark Kent almost than Dean Kane was in four seasons. Yeah. So, but it's just, you know, I'm just tired of of talking to these people and feeling like I'm hitting my head against the wall that it's just like, guys, I don't like it. Well, why don't you like it? You should like it. Or if I do like it and they don't, suddenly I'm still wrong. Yeah. And, And it's because, you know, when you're new to something, you're all excited about it. You're like, a, you know, you're like, you're like a kid who's just, you know, like mainlined Pez and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and cherry soda. So it's just like, you know, you're, I get the excitement because I've been there and maybe I'm just an old guy now. That's entirely possible, but it's just, I'm just that that's one of my main grievances right now is I'm sick of being told that my opinion doesn't matter because I have a differing opinion from what they do. Mm-hmm. And um, for, first of all, I want to get – this is what I would like to see. I, I would like to moderate. I would like to be the Alex Trebek to this this game show of you and Bob Fisher on one team <laughs> and Mark Wade and Kurt Busaic on the other, and it's all about Superman. <laughs> oh, God. We lose so hard. Oh, God. It'd be like – you know, you ever see the movie Never Back Down? Uh, no. Okay, so it's a it's 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 Karate Kid MMA. Oh, okay. Um, so, but in the in the very first scene, uh, the 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 Daniel Larusso character goes up against the Johnny, and the Johnny just just annihilates him, and that's kind of how it would be. I mean, we could probably hold our own for a little bit, but mm-hmm. I took Mark Wade's Silver Age Superman test, 
And oh my god, it was just like, it's just I know enough to know that I know not enough. <laughs> um, what's interesting is that your your first grievance does ma- almost matches up completely or, or dovetails very well with one of mine, which is that I'm really tired of dick measuring contests among fans. You know, <laughs> like. <laughs> Look, I, we both do comic book podcasts. We do both do comic book podcasts where um, we may not always a fact check where we do, and or like or we may we we may we make mistakes or you know or whatever. And um, I listen to I listen to you on from crisis to crisis uh, in in some ways because of the nostalgia factor, but in all in other ways because my actual reading experience with that era was only certain points. So it's also essentially a comic book education for me. Like you're covering comics that I never read and I'm like, and, and it was so easy to follow. And then I, I will listen to um, Stella talk back, talk about Barbara because Barbara Gordon, because I, you know, again, I have only a limited thing. So, you know, you defer to certain experts, but then, and, and so sometimes, you know, you make somebody emails you in and, and gives you a little bit more of a, um, I don't know, a, a, a sheds a little more light on a topic, I guess is the best way to put it. But then there are the times where you feel like you are being fact checked and, or, or this sort of, you know, and sometimes it's new fans, sometimes it's old fans, but it's this sort of like, um, <laughs> like, thank you, Encyclopedia Britannica guy. I mean, I just. <laughs> Remember me? I'm the kid that had a report due on space. Then I got the new Encyclopedia Britannica. He had a report due on space, and then he got the new Encyclopedia. I think I made that abundantly clear. Yeah, you're the 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 person that comes on and 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 corrects the minute little thing you got wrong because they they forget. This this is one of the things I learned about podcasting in general, uh, and 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 speaking in public is when you're on a roll, you're sometimes going off the top of your head, and because you're going off the top of your head, sometimes you'll get you'll you'll misplace something because that's how the brain works. Uh, and I, and I, I figure if you bat like 700, you're, you're doing okay. But then there's a time it's just like, I, I stopped doing that cause I didn't want to be that guy anymore. What? Like I just let, okay, I'm just going to let it go. Cause it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, um, although you just made me think of the scene in animal house. Hey, what's this lying around shit? Well, what the hell is supposed to do you moron? War's over, man. Wormer dropped the big one. What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German? Forget it, he's rolling. But yeah, yeah, it's just after a while you're like, you know, no. I, I, and in fact, you know, um... You don't even, um, like, you know, because I'll email in here and there with some stuff where it's like, you know, uh, I remember this happening and here's some extra information. I'm I'm not trying to, like, you know, mansplain it to anybody or I'm actually trying to say, like, you know, hey, I, I have this extra thing. But I, I think there was a point even in my earliest, like, listening to podcasts where I would be like, you know, actually – and so I'm guilty of it too, but yeah, it is the, there is this sort of, and, it, and it's been going on for years. But it goes on with sports fans. It goes on with music, music fans are even worse sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's like you know, um, or you know, like you're at the you're at the show and you're listening to the band, and it's this sort of like you know, 
Do you have the independent release they put out before the, oh, you're the fan of, <laughs> oh, oh, you became a fan of, of, of the band when they, you know, they put out the album that would platinum. Oh, it's like, shut the fuck up, please. You know, like, and, and so, and, um, and, and then there are, then there are the people you're talking about, like, you know, newer fans. And this is something that's been happening on social media a lot lately. Um, box office numbers are not a measurement of quality. Neither are greenlit sequels. Youngblood number one sold millions of copies. Well, um, I, I mean, I have five words that can just discount anybody who says, well, this made money and they're going to do a sequel. Weekend at Bernie's 2. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's just like all these there's things. There's so many possibilities of toting a corpse around. So. Yeah, I know. It's just like, and you're right. Youngblood number one sold Millions of copies. Um, so did uh, so did a number. Of, we, I mean, you and I talked about '90s books back in um, was it April? Uh, yeah, I think it was April. Uh, we talked about American Entertainment. We talked about Wizard, and I mean, you're talking about some books that 20 years ago were selling. I mean, DC and Marvel would love to have those numbers, but over time, you know. That's stuff that has not held up and stuff. So, but I. D- How many times this uh, uh, over the course of uh, this year have you had to explain how Rotten Tomatoes actually works to people? I know, right? Well, like, like they didn't just come up with this number. They looked at a bunch of reviews and they did an aggregate. Batman v Superman, to go back to that example, yeah. did poorly on Rotten Tomatoes, but made money. That, that again. A review and how much something makes is not, you know, does not really have anything to do with the quality of the piece. Yeah, that- and the Rotten Tomatoes score is always a little bit misleading, but because it's got a, it's a percentage. I think people can, um, people can relate to it because that's what their grades used to be in school. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Like, if it's got a 98, percent you know, like I think on some, and granted, I'm thinking like a teacher, but I think on some level you can think of. Oh, that's a B. It's like, it's why Entertainment Weekly, for instance, gives letter grades to movies. Mm-hmm. It's like, because we can, you know, it's a scale that we're all familiar with. But you're right. You know, the quality, you know, the quality of a flick and its box office performance are not, sometimes they go together. But they're making a fifth oh, Transformers film. I never okay. saw the first four. Uh, I saw the first one. Uh, it was a, it was one of the most enjoyable popcorn flicks I've ever seen. I mm-hmm. will not say it is one a good Transformers movie, nor will I say it is a good it's a, it's a well written film. But it was kind of fun. Peter Cullen was the voice of Optimus Prime, and this was before Shia LaBeouf was like totally cray cray. And, and we all didn't hate Megan Fox, so uh, you know it's just. But you know. The, the, that one did well enough to do a sequel. That one did it well enough to do another sequel. Then Mark Wahlberg got involved. Uh, and the fourth one has, because I've seen like bits and pieces of it at the gym, the fourth one actually has, I don't know the name of this actor. He, uh, I like him quite a bit, but he is playing like the, the black ops guy that works for Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer was in the fourth uh, Transformers film, proving that he will be in shitty sequels to successful first films, <laughs> um, you know, at the drop of a hat. But he, uh, 
this guy is 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 they, all these people have descended on Mark Wahlberg's property because he's hiding Optimus Prime, and Mark Wahlberg asks this guy, "Where's your warrant?" And this guy looks at him, gets like you know nose to nose with him, and goes, "My face is my warrant." <laughs> and I nearly fell off the elliptical machine. No one in the room understood why I was laughing. Uh, it was one of those things where I realized that oh, these are the people that go see this film. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't mean to be the asshole and you know ruining your good time. But my face is my warrant. Somebody wrote that down. A bunch of people looked at it. The actor may have you know desperately looked at Michael Bay, like uh, I gotta say it. Okay, I'm making money off of this, so <laughs> this is what I do. <laughs> The check cleared. <laughs> the check cleared, exactly. So it, it's... I totally agree with you, though. It's mm-hmm. just like one of those things where they want to sound authoritative, authoritative. On, yeah. on the subject. So they quote a box office number to back up why they liked it, when all that really matters is that they liked it. Yeah. Uh, so uh give me your second one and then i'll do my second one since i just did my first one in conjunction with yours so one of the things that i realized i used to be guilty of but now i see it and i'm really annoyed is we really have to stop asking for the mile when we are given the inch. Ooh, that's good. So you look at, and, and I understand that, uh, you know, what we are seeing on social media, uh, and I'm not, uh, is what we used to see on message boards, is what you used to have when you were sitting around with your friends talking about this stuff, mm-hmm. is that everyone's like, man, what is be cool it's like batman forever is a good example sitting in the theater and you know dick grayson has just been dropped off at wayne manor and he's getting back on his motorcycle because he's going to ride the f out of there and the uh you know bruce wayne as played (laughs) woodenly by val kilmer yeah uh goes man yeah i guess you're you know that circus might be halfway to metropolis by now and i perk up i'm like ooh, they mentioned metropolis Flash forward a few months, I'm watching the season premiere of Lois and Clark, and Lo- Lois and Clark are having an argument over the fact that, you know, Lois now knows that he's Superman, and she's known for a while, she's pissed that he never told her, and there is a, he goes, uh, could you say that again, Lois, I don't think they heard you in Gotham City, and I'm just like, oh, it's like a little trade-off, like they mentioned Metropolis, nowadays when stuff like that happens, people start going, ooh, like, season premiere of Supergirl, you know, like, like we're moving back to Gotham city and everyone's like, Oh, does that mean Batman's going to be on the show? Yeah. Batman needs to be on the show. And what starts out as, wouldn't it be cool? Turns into, no, they really need to do this. And it, it just seems like with all aspects, but I'm going to, I'm going to kind of ping the, 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 the newer people to the group mm-hmm. that it, 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 it goes from, a wish to like a sense of entitlement. Like if the people producing the material do not bow to their will, it's like, well, they're just ruining this. Yeah. 
and again, I get that excitement because, you know, I've, I've been in many conversations where it's like, oh, they can do this and they can do that. And they can do that and you can do that and it'll be all awesome. But at no point do uh, do I expect them to do it because I'm of the opinion that, uh, especially with the, the CW shows, these people have shown a great track record of knowing what they're doing and making me happy. So I am I'm very content to just kind of sit back and let things happen as they do, because I realize I, I figure that what they're going to do is probably going to be better than what I wanted them to do anyways, because it's going to fit the world that they've created. But I'm just I'm tired of this overall sense of entitlement that people that they, they want to be catered to specifically. And I'm just like, look, that's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. OK, you, you know, Let's go back to the 90s of how many times they listened to us. Yeah, I know. We were loud and vocal, but no, they just they just did what they were going to do because that's their job to make those decisions. And then you have a decision to make of whether you're not going to you're going to continue reading this book. Now, books back then were like a buck fifty. So it was easier to I think it was I think it was harder to drop a title in the 90s than it is today. Because that price tag is just like, you know, I don't really like it, but it's only a buck fifty, so yeah, okay, and, I'm gonna keep doing this. Well, not only that, it's it's easier to drop a title now than it was because um like back then you drop a title, it would take you a couple of years to drop that title. Like you all I mean, or maybe it's just me. I always found one more reason to go back to reading it if I had the mm-hmm. money. Um it a lot of times when I was dropping titles in the nineties, it was because I was paring down my list because I could only afford so many books. Nowadays, you know, everything's been so written for the trade over the last fifteen years, and I'm not I'm not gonna go down this road of like, you know, decompress versus compressed storytelling. But since everything is about six to seven issues long. You have an out every half, twice a year. That if you get to the end of the one storyline, like you can give every book just about six months. And then after mm-hmm. six months, you can make a decision whether or not you want to stick around for another six months. Um, almost like a television season at this point. Uh, and, um, and, and, and the, and the price tag also contributes to making that decision. Like, do I want to drop three or four dollars? Or in the case of some other companies, five on a single issue month to month, or do I wait for the trade? Do I wait, you know, like, you know, what, what am I, what are my priorities and stuff? Maybe I'm just, again, getting to be an angry old man, uh, as opposed to being a Billy Joel angry young young man. Um, you know, now great intro to that. The piano thing is just beautiful. Um, but this isn't a Billy Joel. Well, this isn't a Billy Joel episode. This could be a Billy Joel podcast. But, we'll we'll get there eventually. But uh, no, it's just I, I get passion, and I'm all for passion. But there seems to be this genuine anger on the part of certain people, and it's hard to read text. And maybe they're just blown off steam because you know I know this is shocking to hear. But some people aren't exactly like they are online as they are in real life. Uh, I know, right? And, you know, that I'm trying to factor that in. But it's just one of these eye-rolling moments. You know, I, I do a live show for, Super, for the Superman homepage. Mm-hmm. Steve and I do it every Tuesday night. And because of that, it forces me uh, to be a little more on the ball with interviews 
interviews and stuff. We're normally, I, I, and this is <laughs> this is another thing that I that I that I as I as I ease into my third decade of this that I don't feel the need to read every scrap of information anymore. Yeah, like I don't, I don't, I, I you know, back in ten years ago, I you know, I'd wake up, I'd sit in front of my computer. And I check comic book resources and Newsarama and comics on film and the Superman homepage, and you know just make sure that I'm up on everything. And I'd read every article and an interview about whatever upcoming comic book film is coming out, and I'd be like, okay, I am on the ball, like a number one, and I've got this on lock. And nowadays, I'm just like, oh, that's coming out soon. Yeah, I'll watch it when it gets out. Yeah. <sighs> so much more to do with my day. Yeah. Well, I, I also, um, it, it's becoming less and less with this because I think DC Marvel are catching on to, uh, there was a time a couple of years ago where they would, because they have, they have to solicit so many months in advance because, um, because, you know, we sometimes for, I think fans sometimes forget that previews is a catalog that's actually meant for store owners. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 we just get it because I get it with I get it free with my pull list yeah, and I right. and I do what I think um shit I'm going to damn it I'm going to give Shag credit for something I think it was Shag who said that reading previews is almost like watching TV by reading TV guide how you can flip through previews and kind of read the solicits and kind of figure out what's going on in green arrow, but you don't have to read the issue unless you really want to. Um, I, I love looking at the weird shit in the toy section in the back myself, but um, my, my new favorite thing is what is Marvel going to put in an omnibus this month? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, but the um the thing that that was getting me was that they would solicit these storylines and we would know something big was going to happen 3 months before it came out and by the time it came out i don't know if anybody really cared because the, everybody would basically go nuts the minute it was solicited yet they were still 4 to 3 to 4 months before this issue actually hit the stands and i've noticed that when dc did rebirth they kept a pretty tight lid Mm-hmm. In they the solicits, really and I really think that worked to their advantage. Granted, it was an excellent story. I felt that it didn't. I loved Rebirth, and I loved the whole Rebirth concept in a way that I never had for the New Fifty Two, and I was willing to give the New Fifty Two a chance. More I than, think we were all willing to give the New Fifty Two yeah, a chance. I think we all, I, much like agreeing to go out with your mother's friends daughter it's it, you know not a, it's, it's not you know face a tiger you hit the jackpot it's, it's like oh my it's, god i have nothing in common with this person it's no you know what it is remember that scene in better off dead where he goes where he goes on the sort of date with the girl with the <laughs> retainer and she just basically has a writer a check <laughs> that was the new 52 it's like it's like you know, nothing gets you personally. I'm sure you're a lovely individual. You're just this is just not gonna. This is just not gonna work out. And yeah. you know, w- with Rebirth, I think, I think the reason why Rebirth uh, caught me and why for a couple months there I was uh, buying everything, and I have since backed off to just basically the Superman ba- Superman titles and some of the Batman titles uh, because Batgirl's been awful. Uh, uh, I, I dropped Batgirl after like three issues. I I have been reading Wonder Woman though. Uh, so, and I've got Wonder Woman, and I dropped Green Lantern, and I dropped Aquaman, and it's not Aquaman, 
against quality. It's just I realized that how much money I was spending and I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I think with Rebirth, it, it was kind of like it's kind of like when that friend that completely screwed you over calls and says, "Hey, man, let's hang out." And you're like, "I don't know about this." <laughs> Yeah, come on, just come on out. We're just we'll have a few beers. I want to talk to you. It's like okay, and you go, and suddenly they're they're like, yeah, really sorry about everything that happened. I don't know what happened to me. I was trying to be a completely different person, hmm. and I'm totally sorry about that. And it's not quite the same as it was, but there's enough there that you want to stick around for a little while. Yeah, Superman's been good. I mean. <laughs> I can cry. I mean, seriously, after five years of head desk, head desk, I look forward to every issue that comes out. When I, um, I remember the first time I saw Bibbo in the rebirth, I thought of you immediately. I was like, Mike must be squeeing right now. I got like three tweets and like, yeah, I was just like, Bibbo. Um, and Dan Jurgens just um I had nothing but good things to say to him about it because it's just such a great run and it got me back into the character in a way that because I had the only issues the new fifty two Superman that I had bought were his. And once he was off the title, I was like, No, I think Scott Lobdell was coming on anyway. I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> um uh, but but my last one is um Lazy criticism and half-assed analysis, and I'm not talking about my podcast. I mean, like, okay, I I will read BuzzFeed lists. I will watch Screen Rant videos, What Culture, Watch Mojo, etc., etc., etc. And because sometimes they're just fun crap to waste your time with when you should actually be doing work. But some of these lists, which are total clickbait anyway – are so badly done that it's almost insulting to my intelligence as a comic fan or a movie fan. Like, you know, um, for instance, I remember uh, I was watching one of those, one of them, and there was like, you know, here are all the things you missed in Back to the Future. And one of them was the fact that at the end of the movie, when Marty comes back, the, the name of the mall has changed. Nobody didn't get that reference. <laughs> You know? Yeah, what the actual hell? Like, that was one of the things we missed? No. I was 10 years old seeing that. When I, I got that reference when I was 10. Everybody got that joke. It was, it's like, it's stuff like that, though. It's these, like, um, because, you know, like, and, and I give credit to Cracked and sometimes IO9. They do tend to write these a little bit better. They have somebody on their staff who actually just takes the moment to, you know, Google whatever the movie is or whatever the comic series is to find out what you know is going on. But I think the problem is, is that when you have what ends up happening with the, with these lists and, and videos and stuff is this is where the assumption that certain things were the way they were back in say the nineties comes about. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you actually look at that, and I think, and I, I, I you know it all comes back to Superman, the death of Superman. It's a great example of it. I mean, you did some, uh, phenomenal coverage of it, but I one thing when you pointed out, and I, I do remember it the way the way you were talking about it, mainly because it appeared it first appeared in Newsday, which was my 
home paper. Yeah. Um, it wasn't hyped the way the thing, you know, it was, it wasn't a money making grab. And I've heard, and, and before that became this sort of weird, like lazy ass common knowledge bit, I'd heard the story of, um, I always miss, I always miss this, mess this up. It was Jerry Ordway who suggested it at the meeting. Yeah. Well, apparently one of the things, uh, one of the running gags in all of the Superman summits, because for those of you that don't know, there used to be four Superman titles and to kind of keep track of all that starting in about 1988, uh, when they were bringing action comics off back from being weekly into a monthly again, and they were bringing on George Perez. They had in Cleveland in 1988, the first super summit where they would get all these people together and basically kind of hash out the next year or so's worth of stories and it was basically a way to get everybody on the same page. And uh, very soon, uh, a lot of the other uh, properties, like the X offices did this. Uh, Jeff Loeb tells a very funny story of sending uh, Scott Lobdell off to get beer and um, and him <coughs> coming back hours later. And basically, when they would get stuck with an idea, it's because of, you know, for anybody out there who's ever been in a business meeting or a conference call, I mean, you got to think that if if you're doing it on a creative level, that there's kind of an excitement there because you're all like throwing ideas out there. Yeah. But there comes that point where you're tired and it's the end of the day and, you, and you're, you're stuck for an idea. So Jerry Ordway would always joke, let's just kill him. So you have all these people. You have, you know, like four writers and a bunch of artists and the editor, Mike Carlin. And they're all like, hey, we're going to marry Lois and Clark in Adventures of Superman number 500. That's going to be the issue. And then they get word that Lois and Clark, the new Adventures of Superman, is in production, and you can't do that yet. So an entire year's worth of stories had to be scrapped. Mm-hmm. So once again, Jerry Ordway makes the joke, let's just kill, kill him. him. And and, and Bogdano, John Bogdano, who was drawing Superman the Man of Steel at the time, uh, says this on the, uh, on the, on the documentary on the, the animated movie. It's just like, and we were all like just angry enough to go, yeah, let's kill him. <laughs> so, and, and, and the funny thing is, to go to your point, thanks to Captain Douchebag Max Landis. Oh, fuck that guy. Um, who I was trying to give a chance to, but every time he opens his mouth, nothing but crap spews out of it. <laughs> your hair is nice, Max. You would be nowhere without your father, Okay. You know, you are as loose with your facts as your father is with safety on his films. Yeah. I'm going to get in trouble for that. <laughs> but, um, but <laughs> okay, I'll recover from that. But the, the fact of the matter is, when that Newsday writer got the story. He got it basically because he went to his comic shop and saw probably in the capital city one, because mm-hmm. that's the image that they used in all the articles. Okay. Um, cause there, cause a <laughs> news flash to new comic book readers previews was not the only game in town for a while. Yeah. <laughs> for the nineties, there was like a bunch of different distributors and comics did not come to the shop on Wednesdays. They came on all different days. They did. They did. So, but he saw it. 
He made a few calls. They asked him very politely not to write anything about it because what they were afraid of is that there's a big newspaper article about the death of Superman and everyone's going to go to a comic shop and they're going to see a Superman story about domestic abuse. Yes. So it's one of those things, but it's become accepted fact. You know, Batman's back got broken because Superman died. Mm-hmm. Which is there's not a, which is not entirely true, right? No, not true at no, all. No, no. Denny O'Neill dispelled that a couple years ago. The yeah. only storyline that you can say, well, we're going to do it because look at what Superman's doing, was the Clone Saga. Because they're like, look at all those books connecting. We got to do that. So it's just, it, but it's just this. You're t- so totally right about the laziness. Yeah, because some of these articles, and it, and 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 this this is going to come off as really freaking pretentious. But we, we both we both do this. We both do this really for fun. I mean, neither of us do this for a living, but we both do this really for fun. And I try, especially if I'm covering something that. Um, well, it's just in anything. I try to do my homework. You know, I mean, I don't always get the facts right. I do. Sometimes I mess up on things, and sometimes there's things I completely miss. Um, and when the audience politely explains it to me, I appreciate it. Uh, but I don't want to go off of the, and I've made the mistake of going off the assumption of something before, and it's come back to bite me in the ass. But, but it's like you know, I don't want to be lazy. If I'm being lazy or messing something up, it's because I just I, I just missed it, and it's an honest mistake, as opposed to, you know, these people who are essentially writing on the, you know, the social media news cycle, which where they're more interested in hits as as it is than than accuracy or thoroughness, and they're 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 banking on the very short attention span of their audience. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's maybe not might not even and and I don't know I don't know where they're making their money. Are they making their money on click throughs or are they making their money on the times a thing is shared? Because I think sometimes my friends share shit to Facebook that they haven't even read. Just like you saw the headline and you shared it and you're like <laughs> did you read the article? It, it's funny because back uh Back when Man of Steel was going to hit theaters, I uh, was uh, sites were inundated with uh, articles about Superman. Uh, makes sense, big yeah. films coming out, and Io Nine, uh, which because of this I will always have a problem with. Uh, it did an article, and if I'm remembering it correctly, it was like nine dumb things Superman has done, mm-hmm. right? And one of them was the electric blue costume and there was an image of the electric blue costume and I clicked on the link for the image and it went back to my blog and I was like okay they're insulting this <laughs> and they went to my freaking blog to get the image because it's it's kind of sad I'm not bragging because this isn't something you brag no, about no 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 Google search certain Superman images that come back to my blog because I posted them mm-hmm. but the the problem with most of these, and I'm not talking like the click hole, which is a satire site, and those are just funny. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, you know, it's just like, hey, five things. And you click on it, and there's like three sentences, and you realize, oh, shit, I've been had. And yeah. I, 
I I think the guy that invented clickbait as a concept, because there is a guy, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know his name, which is probably for the best. <laughs> um, but this guy, you know, basically released something into the world that we can't take back. You know, Pandora's box has been opened. Yes. And because of how money is made on the internet, which is not through content, but through advertising, yes. like anything else, you know, the more things you click on. So, you know, I try to be a little more judicious when I see something because people share shit all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, sometimes there's like, you know, 15 facts you didn't know about Night Court. I'm like, Okay, and you click on it, and the first one's a paragraph. You know, the first one's a whole paragraph. So I'm like, okay, there's substance here. Cracked, as much as I loved Cracked, Cracked is starting to fall into that hole you were just talking about of writing about a subject but doing the barest minimum of research and only going on hearsay for their arguments. They're doing and and they try to be funny and sarcastic and caustic at the same time because that's who their audience is. That's what they're trying to respond to. And there are I know a couple guys that write for Cracked. They're lovely individuals, and I find most of their articles to be well researched. And even if I don't agree with them, and I think, oh man, I don't think it's <laughs> not quite right. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, you know, you've you've done enough that I'm gonna, you know give you a pass on this. But for me personally, it's just like, I'm sick of, I'm sick of this kind of thing because it's diluting the, the, the the base. Yeah. It's basically making it acceptable. So soon, this is all we're going to get. And because writing is hard (laughs) and because research requires effort and people just want to get paid for stuff. I mean, and I'm not even talking about the people that like just basically go to somebody else's like YouTube channel and just copy all of what they said well, into an article. Well, that's just that's plagiarism. There, yeah. I, I was talking, and and that's different. And, and those people, you know, yeah, those people just need to to die <laughs> or just like be exposed. And but no, I, I know what you're getting at. It's it's this sort of it is. It's this half-assed, you know. Um, it's almost like the three, the same three clickbait articles that are. It's almost like they're in a, like a Mobius strip of of of, uh, of of clickbait articles. They're all perpetually referencing one another or something mm-hmm. because they're too lazy to find another source. Here, you know, five things you didn't notice about the Force Awakens. I, I don't. What? Okay. What, yeah. What, what didn't I notice? Uh, yeah. oh, 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 wise one, teach me. And they're they're all conjecture. Yeah, it's just like they're, they're trying. They're, they're saying you missed it, but it's not something that was actually in the film. It's what you got and wanted to talk. All the crap we used to talk about at diners after yeah. a movie is now passing for journalism. Yeah, well, the um, I, I the fan theory thing has also gotten a little bit out of hand. I, I find some of the fan theories to be interesting, but I never took them seriously enough to believe that that was actually what the canon was. Um, two of my favorites are one, which I actually think if it were canon would work. The idea that James Bond is actually several different people. You've heard that fan theory? 
Yes, yeah, so I have James, heard, uh, James Bond is an so alias cool. for several different people. I'm like, you know, it, I said if if you're just if you're decided to stretch this out over the 50 years that the series has been in production and say that it all happens in the same continuity over those 50 years in real time, that works. But you know what? I have a suspension of disbelief. I just want to see a good James Bond movie. Um, I have always kind of enjoyed the um, Ferris Bueller is Cameron Fry's Tyler Durden theory, mm-hmm. um, which the <laughs> – the um the person who used to run the who ran the uh, podcast called Go Bayside, where she was going through every episode of Saved by the Bell, had her own version of it. In the middle of an episode, they came up with the idea that maybe Zach Morris doesn't exist, and it's all Screech's imagination. At least in the first couple of seasons of the show, <laughs> and it was like a so th- that stuff I find interesting, at least because it's just kind of a distraction. But it's become it's you're right, it's permeating into the discussion or the journalism as it is. And I'm, I, yes, I'm doing air quotes up to the mic um, of, of some of our pop culture where it almost gets, it interferes with what we actually want to read. I don't even check sites like CBR and Newsarama and stuff anymore. First of all, CBR has so many damn pop-up ads that I can't get the site to load half the time. I mean, Oh my God. I can't even get the site to load. Newsarama is just countdown after countdown after list after list now. And I just um, – io9, I'll check for once in a while if there's interesting – like uh, for some of the trailers, short film, that type of stuff. But really, it's – I will go back to reading Entertainment Weekly because at least they're trying – <laughs> the, the, the problem with fan theories is that nine out of ten of them will ignore something incredibly important to fit their bullshit theory. Yeah, like you have to you have to forget that certain things happen. Good example is right around the time of the death of Superman, there was a fan theory that, or after he returned. There was a special that came out right around the time of the death of Superman. It was just called the Superman special. It was uh, written and drawn by Walt Simonson. Originally, it was supposed to be Superman Annual number three. Oh, I, I remember this special, yeah. But it, but Simonson just took way too long to do it. Uh, that same Action Comics Annual number three was originally supposed to be a Chris Claremont, Mike Golden Superman story that just never got off the ground. <laughs> they 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 announced it and then nothing happened. Mm. Uh, but it, and in this, it was a retelling of the Sand Superman story from Kryptonite Nevermore back in the seventies, but in a post-crisis setting. So during the course of the story, this Sand clone creature of Superman exists and at the end you know everything's you know he's defeated and blah 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 so after he came back this fan theory started popping up that the superman that actually returned and this is really prevalent around the time of dead again but the superman that had returned is actually the sand superman and it popped up again a couple years ago on bleeding cool where this guy who this is his this was his function at the site he he postulated these theories and he had all this evidence to back it up 
And somebody linked me to it. He's like, is this on the level? And I looked at it, and within three minutes, I'm like, no, this is complete bullshit. You're forgetting this. You're forgetting this. You're forgetting where that came from. You're forgetting, you know, it was published in 1992, but it was supposed to come out in 1990. So there's two years of continuity there that you're not taking into consideration. And I just, uh, you know, it, it was just like one of those, like, I'm not smart, and I know this. So... <laughs> Why are you perpetuating? Why are you foisting this onto it? And if I see the words, but what if I told you at any point in the article, I'm done. Because <laughs> anything, I was at Dragon Con a couple years ago. Uh, well, I go to Dragon Con every year, but I was at Dragon Con a couple years ago. And the lead singer of this goth band was on a panel and every time, like every other, he began most of his points, and he had a lot of them, with, now the interesting thing is, and I realized after the sixth one of that, nothing this man had to say was interesting. <laughs> nothing. And I feel the same way of anybody that says the words, but what if I told you that, because they're trying to do like a, like a, like a, you know, like a mind freak on you. I mean, it's just like, it's just, no, no. You came up with a bullshit theory. You have "quote unquote" evidence, but that evidence will not stand up in a court of law. Yeah, and you don't want to go. You don't want to go toe to toe with me on bullshit. I majored in bullshit. I mean, I just. <laughs> so um, I think we're. I think we've vented. I, I feel. I feel good. I, I feel a little better. Yeah. I feel, I feel like you know. All right, so, so we're all warmed up because this, this next part is going to be a little bit tougher. Um, I, we are going to take a little bit of a break. And when we get back, there's another Festivus tradition, the feats of strength. Stay tuned. I blame you for this, Tom. Yeah, I know. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... You know what? I just, I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's, it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailitude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
So, the feats of strength, according to the Wikipedia page about Festivus, uh, the feats of strength are the final tradition observed in the celebration of Festivus, celebrated immediately following, or in case of the, of the episode, the strike during the Festivus dinner. The head of the household selects one person at the Festivus celebration and challenges them to a wrestling match. Mike and I are not going to wrestle. Tradition states Festivus is not over until the head of the household is pinned. What is that? Is that the Paul? George, Festivus is your heritage. It's part of who you are. That's why I hate it. It's a big dinner Tuesday night at Frank's house. Everyone's invited. George, you're forgetting how much Festivus has meant to us all. I brought one of the cassette tapes. Read that poem. I can't read it. I need my glasses. You don't need glasses. You're just weak. You're weak. Leave him alone! All right, George. It's time for the Festivus Feats of Strength. Oh, no! Turn it off! No Feats of Strength! I combine Festivus! We had some good times. The sh- in the strike, however, Kramer manages to circumvent the rule by creating an excuse to leave. The feats of strength are mentioned twice in the episode before they actually take place. In both instances, no detail was given as to what actually had happened, but in both instances, George Costanza ran out of the coffee shop in a mad panic, implying that he had had bad experiences with the feats of strength in the past. What the feats of strength entailed was revealed at the very end of the episode when it actually took place. Failing to pin the head of the household results in Festivus continuing until such a requirement is met. And now, as Festivus rolls on, we come to the feats of strength. Not the feats of strength. This year, the honor goes to Mr. Kramer. Uh-oh. Oh, gee, Frank, I'm sorry. I gotta go. I have to work a double shift at H&H. I thought you were on strike. Yeah, well, I caved. I mean, I really had to use their bathroom. Oh, Frank, no offense, but this holiday's a little... out there. Well, Kramer, you, you can't go. Who's gonna do the feats of strength? How about George? Good thinking, Cougar. Until you pin me, George, Festivus is not over. Please, somebody stop this. Let's rumble! I think you can take him, Georgie. Come on, be sensible. Stop crying and fight your father. Ow! Ow, I got This is the best Festivus ever! We are not going to wrestle, okay? No, no, we're not. I mean, Tom's got like six inches of height on me at the very least. And I'm sure his reach is much longer than mine. So plus it's just not, I mean, I had a hell of a center of gravity, but we're not going to, well, plus we're, I'm 40 and this is, almost 40. Yeah. So. And, and, Aside from the fact that Skype makes it logistically impossible, so so I came up with a I had um, I had emailed we had messaged back and forth before this episode, and I said uh, let's let's read a bad let's read some bad comics that is certainly a feat of strength uh, a feat mm-hmm. of strength, and so I um just just 
um, going back into a couple of years ago, um, I was doing a professional development thing at school and I did one on comic books in the classroom and how you can use comics. And I checked out a crap ton of graphic novels out of the library and trade paperbacks. And I had this whole display or whatever. So the librarian for one of the elementary schools in my district comes up to me and says, I have all these comics and they're not appropriate for little kids. Would you want them? And I went, Oh, you know, Free comics? Yes. So she had three or it was like like two long boxes and just a big huge cardboard box full of comics. And most of them were uh New 52 and fairly recent Marvel. Um, but there was an obligatory box of shitty 90s comics. It's like they are circulating like currency through the system. And um and it was it Follow was Follow George. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what it is. And it was um, you know, it's it was Valiant. There was some decent stuff in there. It was Valiant, there was some Malibu, um, some Ultraverse stuff that I I flipped through that was good. And there was some weird independent stuff. Um, and there was plenty of image. Um and there's really one rule in comics podcasting that you really shouldn't break. And I think we're going to kind of break it tonight. And that rule is never go full Liefeld. Well, technically we're not. We're so. technically we're not, but it's almost worse because we're not covering Youngblood. We're not covering the New Mutants. We're not covering Supreme. We're not even covering Hawk and Dove. We are covering the first four issue miniseries of Brigade. Oh, fuck. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide the summary, which I've actually written. So I'm going to read this off, and uh, and then we are going to review this this comic. Now, um, and I've got all the information here. I'm going to run down. I'm going to just – I'm just going to go right into it. I'm going to run down the creative teams uh, and all of the other important logistical information right away because it's more or less the same. The creator and co-plotter was Rob, Rob Liefeld. Liefeld. Penciler and co-plot, co-plotter Merritt Michaels. I'm just going to say that's how you pronounce it. Script on issue number one was Liefeld with Hank Canals and Eric Stevenson. Canals and Stevenson did the script on two and three. And number four was scripted by Stevenson. Inks were by Paul Scott and Norm Rapman, who would ink Dan Jurgens for a while, I believe, mm-hmm. at some point in the 90s. Uh, yeah, col- it's going to be interesting talking about where a lot of these people are today. Yeah, colors were by Brian Murray, lettering by Kurt Hathaway, technical assistant was Richard Horry, colors, color separations and issues number one through three were by Digital Chameleon, and I should note that issues number one through three were published at the time that Image was still under the Malibu umbrella. Yes, it was. And they are co- credited to Chameleon Prime, for issue number four with Kello Graphics, which sounds like some company from the 50s uh, doing cover film output. Eric Stevenson was the editor on all four books. And I should note here that issue number four is actually the flip side to Youngblood number five. Uh, that one was priced at $2.50, which was a lot That's of money insane. for a comic back then. While the other three were $1.95. Now, to be fair... $2.50 back in the early 90s was the going rate for a Dark Horse book. So if mm-hmm. you were buying like Aliens or Predator or Aliens versus Predator, you were paying two fifty dollars a pop. Uh, DC and Marvel were still hovering around, I want to say about the buck fifty, buck seventy-five range. Um, maybe even dollar twenty-five, depending on what format book you were uh you were buying when these were coming out. So the release dates were as follows. And this is so early image, 
it will come as no surprise to you guys that issue number one, August 14th, 1992. Issue number two, October 23rd, 1992. Issue number three, February 23rd, 1993. And Youngblood number five came out on July 20th, 1993. Only like Brian Hitch and Frank Quitely produced comics at a slower rate than this crew did. Uh, but this was, this was right at the height of the image shipping issue. Okay, now. Um, when we were prepping for this episode, I mentioned that I was trying to find the plot to this book, and you put it in one sentence. Dude shows up and fights the team who fight each other. But I guess if we're going to get into the specifics, Brigade is a superhero team in the Image universe. It is made up of seven people. Battlestone, the leader, Cold Snap, Seahawk, Atlas, Stasis, KO, and Thermal. Each has some sort of power and wears spandex. Thermal and Stasis are both women, so they're both blonde and have crazy mall hair. In the case of Stasis, she has a uniform that's so high cut in the waist, the producers of Baywatch would be jealous. Then again, they've got all the guys muscled up and wearing Speedos half the time, so I guess equal opportunity or something. Anyway, the plot. We start in Malibu, where the members of Brigade are hanging around at their huge Malibu Barbie beach house and being sexy, as you do in the Image Universe. And they're pitching it and fighting with one another. Of course, this is the Image Universe in 1992, not the current day Walking Dead paper girls like all the really good comics Image Universe. Uh, so bitching and fighting in the Image Universe in 1992 is extreme! And that means broken windows and Battlestone flexing in everyone's direction to keep them from destroying the beach house. But then they see something on the Expositional News Network, copyright my guest, about trouble in Washington, D.C. And even though that's Youngblood's territory, oh, and I guess it should be pointed out that Battlestone was the former leader of Youngblood, but at this point, Youngblood had three issues out, and one of them ships so late, it's probably safe to say that people were starting to really not care less. Plus, I never yet read Youngblood, so I really couldn't care less anyway. So Brigade shows up. But before they do anything, they have to pose... So that the person who announced them announces them to the people on the street can speak in comic book logo. And man, Battle Battlestone on that on that in that first issue, he just stands crotch forward. It's like Eric Estrada enter, entering a room in a room in an episode of Chips. It just it's like I see it, and I can't unsee it. The situation is that the terrorists who are taking control of this building and they're all wearing generic green suits because God forbid we design a costume or, or draw clothing correctly have taken over a building. Brigade shows up, double page splashes their way into said building with all of the wit but none of the personality of Brandon Lee and Dolph Lundgren in Showdown in a Little Tokyo and there's a fight that gets interrupted by a couple of trading cards that makes issue number one really hard to flip through. Um, and the poses are nicely sexist because Battlestone's all like I'm fiercely deflecting bullets with his skin and stasis is standing in an innocent yet sexy pose because she's like shoving her breasts together like you've seen on a million swoops of calendars by that point in your adolescence. Or maybe that was me. All right, back to the comic. They fight. And there's a lot of fighting. And there are flames and firing in various directions from various characters. Then one of the generic green bad guys blows himself up and blows up the building, which falls over. But Battlestone crawls out and stands and poses in a two-page spread that makes you turn the comic around. And it's signed by the artist, so this is a collector's item, and we all bought five copies. Then on the last page, we get a shot of a villain named Genocide. 
Issue 2 opens with a flying saucer having appeared out of nowhere for no reason because it was never actually shown in Issue 1. Genocide then shows up dressed in a uniform that I think is from the Colossus line of hero uniforms and was probably at the rack at Marshalls with the word Irregular on the label. He does one of those reaching into the air poses while straddling the panels on a two-page spread while screaming in logos that he is looking for Brigade and is called Genocide. Brigade two-page splash attacks with an inset jagged edge extreme panel that has an extreme close-up on Battlestone's face screaming, Brigade, let's take him down! And there's more fighting. But since Genocide has been studying Brigade's every move, he takes them all down. It's just like Deathstroke in Identity Crisis. Hi, Stella. And uh, we get a nice shot of Stasis's ass, which is sort of covered. She almost has a wedgie. She might want to take care of that. Then they fight again. Uh, Brigade starts to get the upper hand, but they're shunted off to what looks like an arena or something. But this has more to do with genocide than than Brigade, and it's an alien world where apparently genocide's father is mad at him. I don't know. There's going to be more fighting. That's all we know. The trading cards are less sexist this time, with Thermal actually using her powers. There's an Image Comics number zero redemption form in the issue, which means that the speculators were definitely buying at least two of these two copies of these. They would put one in a bag and board, the other one they would get the trading cards out of and the image coupon and they would definitely cut out the back cover to send away for membership in the Rob Liefeld fan club. Alright, issue three. We open with some guy with green skin wearing a costume that looks like he tried to steal it from the Doctor Strange rack at TJ Maxx but only got the cape, the gloves and a kicky little sash screaming something about an Imperial High Council sentencing everyone on the arena floor to death. Brigade stands assembled beneath Atlas's nuts and yells about how they're not the droids they're looking for. But green alien Doctor Strange cosplayer is having none of this, so Brigade blasts a hole in the wall of the arena and starts running. Troops are sent after them. Bloodstone says it's time to stand their ground, and they fight until they find their way into a system of tunnels, which has a brick background rather than some random color that Digital Chameleon created using the paint bucket tool on MS Paint. And green-skinned alien who now has one of those floppy 90s haircuts, you know, the one that has a part in the middle and was usually like the haircut of the douchebag on an episode of 90210 or something, uh, says something about the factor. So I guess Brigade is going to be taken down by polynomials or something. It's a big alien monster. Well, there's more fighting, two more trading cards, which makes this issue hard to flip through yet again, and an Entertainment This Month ad with a shot of voodoo from the Amish comic swimsuit special, which I will sadly admit I paid cash money for. Then Brigade actually comes across the Factor, because I thought the Factor was a monster, but it's actually another team with powers and the same types of uniforms, and they also speak in logo. They've been ordered to bring down these people, and everyone starts fighting. Uh, Battlestone is about to get killed at one point. The leader of the factor, who I think is played by Shadow Stevens, tells this guy, whose name is Knockdown, because of course his name is Knockdown, to bring them in alive. And just as he's about to show up, another team shows up, and they look like variations on Strife, and we have to wait until the next issue, but not before a pinup of Brigade, plus a two-page ad for a crossover between Brigade and a team called Bloodstrike, whose first issue would have that Feel the Blood cover... Why did I own that one again? I I honestly don't remember ever buying it, but I I owned it. Anyway, issue four, which is the the flip side of Youngblood number five, the new team, which also speaks in logo, is called, wait for it, the Birds of Prey. Stella never covered this. I cry foul. I'm going to get her on. 
I'm going to wake her up right now and wonder why the hell she did not cover this on Batgirl for Oracle when she was making us suffer through all those suicide squad issues. She's just I, I a do, kid. Uh, I have to pick up to her, her slack every time. Uh, this is what happens when she hangs her own shack. Um, so they show up, but they come in peace. The colorist finds the gradient button for the background, and then we get a two-page turn the comic on its side vertical splash of both teams ready to face some threat. There's more fighting, there's more yelling, the High Council Doctor Strange cosplayer guy now has changed his hairstyle, and then Genocide shows up again because he last appeared in issue two, and that was nine months ago, so we remember that, right? Genocide lures Battlestone into the pit, which has its own logo, of course, and Battlestone yells Genocide in logo so that we can all understand them. They fight, Brigade finds them, they fight some more. Atlas gets killed, but I honestly don't give a shit because it's been so long since the last issue that I don't remember who he is. And apparently we were in the middle of issue number zero brigade. We get page seven. Oh, no, wait, wait. It's an ad for issue zero, but it doesn't say it's an ad for issue zero. And it actually just looks like they took the cover and copied and pasted it onto the page. There is a brigade issue zero, which is the next brigade comic that would come out in September of 93. So I, I was confused. Anyway, the comic we're reading, more fighting. They got on a spaceship <laughs> because, yeah, they get on a spaceship. They ma- they managed to barely make it out of there, even though, and, and, and honestly, I was under the impression they didn't know where they were, but apparently they know how to get back to Earth. Uh, we have a final page with the remaining brigade members looking intense, and Thermal has this beautiful for mullet and uh, there's a narration box about Atlas dying and him not wanting it to be in vain but let's be honest who except for the guys at American Comics who have to move all the remainder stock cares about this Uh, and so this miniseries will wind up being passed around from quarter bin to quarter bin for all eternity circulating like currency or those Mary Jane's candies that your grandmother used to hand out on Halloween, even though they stopped manufacturing them during the Johnson administration. I'm sure Professor Allen has at least three copies of this. And that is Brigade. My review, before I go a little more in depth, is that sucked. Maybe you can shed some light on it, because I'm done. All right. So, Rob Liefeld gets a lot of crap. Uh, Some of it deserved and some of it I don't think is as deserved as the people giving him the crap think it is when the thing I will always say about Rob Liefeld in a positive light is that he has a lot of energy and I think when he broke away from Marvel and you know when you look at the founders of Image it's kind of interesting because you got Todd McFarlane who does Spawn and outside yeah. of like some spawn tie-ins, he really doesn't, you know, he just put out spawn and he put it out on a monthly basis. Uh, same thing with Eric Larson. I mean, Eric Larson eventually, you know, popped up a couple other titles, super Patriot, stuff like that. But he basically stuck to Savage Dragon. Jim Valentino pretty much stuck to Shadow Hawk. Uh, but you had guys like Jim Lee, especially Rob Liefeld, who decided that they were going to go and be Marvel, but they were going to own everything. And Youngblood number one came out in April of 1992. We're about to hit the 25th anniversary of that. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And right away, Rob was just brimming with ideas. 
And I think Rob had in his mind that he was going to be this magnate over an entire publishing line. And he was going to have all these characters and they were going to go into their own movies and animated series and toys and stuff. Uh, so instead of just focusing on Youngblood, which in and of itself is a good idea. Youngblood has a great premise. It's just like they're government-sanctioned superheroes. And there's an international team and there is a home team. And everything is controlled by the government, their image, their names, everything like that. They're, you know, some of the people are damaged, but they fight bad guys. And that's pretty much it. Uh, unfortunately, when you read a bunch of stuff. Now, full disclosure, uh, I know just about everything Rob Liefeld did at Image. Um, that 50 cent bin uh, is crammed full of that stuff. And I have read, I have read the first seven or eight issues of Youngblood. And I read the first issues of Brigade and Bloodstrike. And there got to a point where I'm like, this is, I can't, I, 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 I'm tapping out, guys. I'm sorry. I'm done. I, I'm just D-U-N-N done. So, okay. Sooner or later, it becomes masochism. <laughs> and, and, and it's not that I think, again, in theory, that his ideas were bad. Supreme is the Superman of the universe, and he is a Superman that has left the Earth and come back several decades later. And, you know, you had Youngblood, you had Teen Youngblood, you had Bloodstrike, uh, which was another government team, and then you had Brigade. Now, when you look at the cover of Brigade number one, you have uh, Battlestone, uh, who is very, very old. As his history was fleshed out, he was actually born in the 20s. Mm. And sometime uh, in the 1970s or so, uh, or the 80s, somewhere around there, he was put through Project Born Again. Uh, think Universal Soldier. Because yeah. he died, and they brought him back to life, and now he has a bunch of superpowers. Uh, he is brothers with the leader of Bloodstrike. He is the former leader of Youngblood, and as revealed in Youngblood number zero, a mission he was on went very badly, and he was kicked off the team. So this highly trained, superpowered individual was kicked off of the government-mandated superhero team, went out, formed his own team, and apparently everyone was okay with this. Okay, because why not? The group that he has, if you look at his cover, one, it looks like Booster Gold is part of this team. It does look like Booster Gold is part of this team. He is not. Uh, the blonde women that are across from each other are almost indistinguishable except for their hairstyles. Yeah. You have Batman-like character up in the other uh, the the right hand corner. In the bottom right hand corner, you have a bunch of different characters from Youngblood, just all rolled up in one character. And then you have in the upper left hand corner Ko, Ko, the martial artist. His name is Ko. He's supposed to be Asian. This is offensive on, like, several levels. And, and, okay. and let's not I, – I think by issue two, they fix the coloring. Nope. But at some point, I think they do fix the coloring, but he is actually colored slightly yellow <laughs> through the first couple of issues of the book. Um, by issue four, issue four, they're on that glossy paper. Um, it's it's a, The coloring is a little bit better because it's a little bit deeper. Um, but, yeah, it's I, I noticed that right away. It's like well, you're going to name a – you're going to name an Asian character Ko. He's going to be. It's funny because 
the first issues of just about all of the, the the especially the Rob Liefeld books, but Shadowhawk was kind of like this too, is that they were printed like in this really lousy um, lousy paper with terrible coloring. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, shut up. I know it's bad. It's going to be okay. But eventually, they started doing computer coloring, and they got a better paper stock, and the books started, quote unquote, looking better. Um. Now I'm I'm going to ask you a question about this first issue, and because you lived in DC, yes, there are no skyscrapers in DC, are there? No, there is uh, now there there is uh, there are two skyscrapers. Uh, there are some skyscrapers across the river in Arlington. There's what used to be the headquarters of uh, Gannett Publishing and uh, USA Today. Is a is a pretty tall building. There is an ordinance in Washington D.C. that is still held to to this day that no building can be higher than the top of the Capitol building, and the only structure higher than the Capitol building, I believe, is the Washington Monument, maybe the National Cathedral. But I know that I know that. So you have basically the architecture of Washington D.C. is like short and squatty. Uh, so there are no real they, – they they honestly, they don't go above a certain level of floor. So Because when I think skyscrapers, you know, having grown up in the New York City metro area, I think skyscrapers, you know, the Empire State Building, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so there aren't really any skyscrapers, skyscrapers in Washington, D.C. Um, another thing, buildings don't fall like that. Well, they do when you have when when half of them are covered in ice and they're apparently being blown after that. I don't think physics works like that, though. <laughs> okay, so here is my problem with this story because I honestly went into this reread, going, "Okay, I'm going to give this a fair shot. I'm going to put away my baggage, put it in a nice little steamer trunk, I'm going to put it in the corner, and I'm just going to read this and I'm going to take it for what it's supposed to be." You mentioned that this is the dialogue is not even as good as Showdown in Little Tokyo. <laughs> and Showdown in Little Tokyo was not a top tier action film. Uh, it's a good action film. It's, I an, like it. it's an underrated movie. Uh, it's it's funny, uh, mostly because of Brandon Lee. Brandon yeah. Lee is excellent at that film, and he and Dolph Lundgren play well off of each other. Yes, yes, that's why um, I brought it up. <laughs> but it's not Die Hard, you know? So. Keeping that in mind that I'm reading a comic designed by Rob Liefeld. So you can't – plotted by Rob Liefeld. And basically what I think that means is is that he had all these sketches and he turned it over to uh, Eric Stevenson and Hank Canals to, um, to script. Hank Canals also scripted the first issue of Youngblood, mm-hmm. which has the immortal line – no arrow this pen will have to do uh which i i I will never forgive him for uh because it is it it is it is the my face is my warrant of um of that by the way hank cannell these days is senior vice presidents of vertigo and integrated publishing at dc (laughs) so it's entirely possible to fail upwards yeah uh eric stevenson is still around uh you know so basically i think he he got a little studio of people. Marit Michaels is still working. Uh, Norm Rapun is definitely still working. Uh, yeah. So I, I think he just got all, you know, he, he had this little studio of people and he kind of just like, okay, I'm going to do Youngblood. And then Brian Murray and another guy 
they're going to go do Supreme and we're going to do this and I'm going to have a publishing empire. The problem is, is that none of these people were ready for prime time. No. The art in this first issue is not even 80s independent quality. Yeah, it's artwork. bad. Like, like, like everything about this says, you know, look at look at this. He's super cool. When we open on Battlestone, he's jogging on the beach. At least I think it's the beach. Yeah, it's the beach. They're in Ma- they're, they're in Malibu. So you, the only thing, I, I so you have to assume it's the beach. So this dude one has yellow skin because he's dead, and two he's going out jogging. And he still has the little skull thing on his forehead. And then you have the the, the guys, you know, Cold Snap and um, Seahawk. Seahawk. God. You know, they're fighting. You've got Atlas just, you know, getting some rays. Uh, You have almost an inkling of a story with, uh, uh, what is her name? Thermal. Thermal, yeah. She's arguing with somebody it looks like she owes somebody money uh this is never referenced again in the four issues yeah uh you know all it is 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 you know everyone is introduced there's a dude in the background with like you know balding and and a and a and a a amish beard so brigade is an you know apparently battlestone wanted to do his own hero team away from government control uh and they're known nationally because when they show up in Washington, D.C., the reporter knows exactly who they are, as do the cops. So everyone is okay that this ex-member of Youngblood, who, again, the government probably sunk millions of dollars into, is just out there doing his own thing. What follows is a series of more people coming in and the group fighting them. And there's no rhyme or reason. They go into space, which says to me that... Liefeld really liked the Shi'ar Empire and those issues of X-Men. Yeah. And new team, new characters keep getting introduced. And the problem here is, it's not even enjoyable on a mindless action level, because even in mindless action films, Shonen Little Tokyo, you give a crap about who the characters are. Yeah. They spend a couple lines of dialogue, you know, you know, Dolph Lundgren's character was, you know, raised in Japan and his parents were killed. Uh, Brandon Lee's character, you know, you know, has his own little bits of baggage. And they're going after the guy that killed Dolph Lundgren's parents. So there is in there an emotional hook for the audience. Now you're there just to watch Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee kick some ass. Uh, and again, it's only made enjoyable by the fact that these guys have a sense of humor about what they're doing. Uh, Rapid Fire is another good example of a uh, yeah. that wasn't top tier, but was still extremely good. It was fun to watch. And he had like, you know, his dad was killed in Tiana, Brandon Lee's father in that movie was killed in Tiananmen Square. And he's brought into this whole thing because he attends this party where he's kind of tricked into going by the chick that posed naked in his art class. And he witnesses a mob hit and suddenly Powers Booth is having to protect him and he's on the run and he's kicking. God, there's so many great fight scenes in that movie. Powers Booth plays the the perfect, like, 
I've old, old seen so much of this shit. Can I just sit down for a second, old detective? Yeah, he's just so perfect in that movie. There are two moments in that movie that I love. One, where the cops that are supposed to be protecting him turn out to be on the take. And they start shooting at him, and Brandon Lee takes cover. And the director, just in this brilliant comedic beat, just stops and he goes, Oh, shit. <laughs> that and when they go to visit the detective the lieutenant that has set them up the door opens and the camera is behind powers booth and brandon lee the guy opens the door and he goes hello and kicks him in the face <laughs> <laughs> at which point he is told to put those fists of fury away um but you know and i'm all for mindless action yeah. but i need some hook so that it's not a Van Damme film from later Van Damme. Oof. Not Bloodsport Van Damme. No. I'm talking mullet Van Damme. Ugh. I don't even... Like hard <laughs> yeah, target. Yeah, hard target Van Damme. Yeah. And the thing is, is that there is no in any of these story in any of these issues, where I know who any of these characters are. And when Atlas dies at the end, I didn't care. Yeah. Because I didn't even know this guy any. Anyways, and he's just a ripoff of, you know, uh, Leviathan or Giant Lad from from the Legion of Superheroes. Anyway, yeah, you have a guy who can grow to big sizes. Wow. I mean, it's just it's just it, there is nothing redeeming about this book. There, the artwork sort of gets better as it goes on, and I'm not blaming the artist. He was a young guy that was given a chance to draw a comic book that probably made him a shitload of money in the 90s. Yeah. But there's uh, like genocide shows up and suddenly the alien race that genocide somewhat belongs to shows up and he is on the outs with them, but then convinces them to fight Brigade and then another team shows up. And then when the Birds of Prey showed up at the end of issue three and weren't named, by the way. Yeah, they weren't named until issue four. Uh, I don't know if that's because Liefeld didn't have a name for them. Yeah, I don't know. But it's just like, and, and they all look alike. There's nothing to distinguish them from each other. There's no, it, it's it's all a bunch of rejects from 90s era Avengers. And it's, I really tried to find something good about this. Yeah. I couldn't. I just couldn't at all. It was one of the most depressing reading experiences in recent memory. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we are looking into the abyss. And the abyss just looked Look back. back. <laughs> um, I, like with the space, I, I just, I, the, the thing, that, oh, I forgot there is an epilogue um, where somebody at the Pentagon basically says, um, you know, Brigade disappeared. We don't know where they are. It's time to contact Bloodstrike. And that leads into uh, what would be the second Brigade series with Bloodstrike with this crossover, etc. But this, Blood Brothers. Yeah. And this book, um, the last book, I guess the, because the shipping was so bad and the book was probably so far behind, they did this. And they did this flip book with a couple of other books around this time. I think I think they were all Liefeld books of where they would put like, you know, you'd, you'd see the cover of, um, you know, Youngblood number five, and then if you flip it over, it's Brigade number four. And um, I wonder if any. Be, uh, oh, go ahead. I wonder if anybody got suckered into buying two copies of something. What I was saying, I bet you anything there was a thing that, well, we'll, we'll just have the comic 
dealer flip both ahead, you buy both, and when you get home, you realize you just bought the same comic twice. <laughs> or you want to buy two copies, so you have one to file with Brigade and one to file with Youngblood. Yeah. Youngblood, at least, had an overall plot in its first five issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it forgot it for a couple issues, uh, because you had like the first issue where Youngblood is fighting a team and ends... The way I described this last page of the first story in Youngblood number one is, you know that end of the like the end of the action film when like a character gives a thumbs up or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of how the issue ends. But you know they're going to fight the bad guys, and then you don't see that fight. And on the other side, you have the away team killing a Saddam Hussein stand-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the second issue, suddenly the team's mixed up because who was on the domestic team and who was on the, uh, the, the away team basically are now, uh, you know, intermingled and they're chasing down Jack Kirby and this guy named profit. And in the third issue, we kind of go back to the first issue, the, 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 the home team. And then in the fourth issue, finally everyone's going to the big battle that involves profit. And the fifth issue is just awful. So yeah, I'm flipping through it. The coloring in this is so god awful. And I will say that it was entertaining reading the letters pages from this, um, from Brigade Number Two, because they had enough time to have letters for Brigade Number One. Yeah, I know. Uh, Dear Brigade Editor, well, 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 Brigade Number One has finally arrived, and it seems as though it was well worth the wait. And now that the greetings are over, I shall now introduce you to the image rating system. Story. Very interesting. I like the idea of having someone who controls cold as well as someone who controls heat on the same team. I give it three Liefelds. Art. Beautiful. Only w- I, I only wish I could draw like that, but the best I can do are stick figures. I give it three and a half McFarlands. Color. Absolutely spectacular. I especially like the sky on page two. I give it the ultimate four Lees. And overall, a very well put together comic, three and a half Larsons. The sky on page two. (laughs) Was I the one who said the other night on Facebook that (laughs) this has (laughs) the cover to zero hour number zero has more complicated backgrounds than half of this comic? (laughs) It's just, I just, uh, I I don't want to come off as one of those people that for lulls will insult Rob Liefeld and all his creations. Uh, Objectively, this is a bad four issues of comics by any measurement. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's, there's an attempt to make it look good with the covers which if there's any – the covers aren't even that great, but at least like compared to everything else, the covers are okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one has that – how you describe The second one has genocide and um, Battlestone going at it, and genocide's right arm is so disproportionately huge to the rest of everything. Number three has a shot of – I think that's Seahawk – and, and thermal. thermal, who at this point has mounted basketballs to her chest, and um, and Seahawk is a Batman lift from somewhere. Yeah, uh, I think it's that that Neil Adams. Neil Adams. Cover. Yeah, I'm just thinking that's that Neil Adams cover, and then um, 
fourth is a Rob Livehold, uh, Norm Rappin cover of just Battlestone looking slightly battle damaged and, uh, you know, kind of being like, you know, come on, let's go, the big final fight. And what bugs me, <laughs> this shouldn't bother me, but okay, the logo on, on number one, two, and three, uh, the logo on number four looks like it's been stretched vertically and they forgot to stretch it horizontally to match it proportionally. So it's got that like Gumby vision type of thing you used to see in like old movies from the seventies uh, when they, when they st- shrunk it to from widescreen to fit the whole picture on the screen. They would do that with the X-Men logo in some issues uh, in the nineties where the X-Men logo would take up like half the comic and you're just like, why is the X-Men logo so big? I mean, it's one of those things where I applaud the effort and the fact that he was a. I mean, these the second Brigade series went more than four issues. The second Bloodstrike issue before they completely retooled that book, and it went from being a team of people to one guy. Yeah. But the problem is, it's kind of like when I uh, sat down and read, <clears throat> I read Cyberforce and Wildcats concurrently with each other uh, about a year or two back. And the problem with doing that is that I got confused on who was on what team. I mean, I know Ripclaw was Cyberforce because that was mm-hmm. um, what's his name, so Mark Silvestri's team. Uh, and but really, what, when it boiled down to, they were the same team. They were the same concept. They had similar bad guys, and when they teamed up, I'm like, okay, now you've just you you you've just taken Kraft macaroni and cheese. And, uh, you know, another, like, you know, powdered macaroni, you know, like store brand macaroni and cheese, and you throw them together. And they are virtually indistinguishable from each other. Though I will say that powdered craft macaroni and cheese is better than store brand. But that's entirely beside the point. <laughs> no, it's just, that was the thing with these, this, you know, that with some of the image people. It's like, it's when you could say, wow, I respect Spawn because it actually tried to do something different. I mean, yeah. Visually, it was Spider-Man and Batman had a really unhealthy and un, like dirty weekend together, and this was the, <laughs> the result from it. But at the same time, he had a concept. He quickly abandoned that concept, but he had a concept. You know, there was, you know, Al Michaels was a CIA agent that was, you know, killed, and he made a deal to go back because he wanted to be with his wife, and, and he made a deal with Malbolgia and Malbolgia said, okay, you can go back and you have all this power, but once you use it all up, you're going to come back and lead my army. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty strong concept. See, you can turn that into a series. Yeah, it got him through quite a number of issues too. So, and you know, so what was Savage Dragon? I want to draw a big guy that's going to hit other big guys. Never any other, but there was at least some twists and turns where he had a cop friend, and that cop friend was on the take, yeah. and there was this bad guy, and it was just like at least that made sense. Uh, I always and I and I always got the the um, the feeling that Eric Larson, to, to borrow a phrase, was punching his weight with the Savage Dragon. Yeah, and but Rob. Um, <sighs> You're right. Right. He was. He had big ideas, but he almost. It's like he didn't have the attention span, or he was too hyperactive. Like he was a pinball, and instead of playing the long game and focusing on starting things off, you know, 
you know, and then slowly developing. Now, I mean, you're developing like or or a taking care of some of the issues that you were having with your own deadlines and shipping and things like that before you started trying to put out four more titles. Um, you know, instead of kind of developing these things over time, trying to do it all at once and. You know, the difference between what he was doing and what like Stan Lee and, and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and everybody at Marvel in the sixties was doing was that if there were similarities between the heroes, they were, they were, it felt like variations on a theme as opposed to copies of one another. And I, I think what, the, what he wanted was a fully, was a fully formed comic book universe. Yeah, and he wanted the audience to buy into it with no emotional investment. Mm-hmm. And that's you not know, how it works. The the you know and, and and to be fair, when you look at where he came from, you know he broke big. I mean, he first gained some notoriety with Hawk and Dove, but he broke yeah. big on New Mutants. And New Mutants, he had the luxury of coming onto a title. 80 some odd issues into its run. Mm-hmm. And then after he gained, you know, gained some notoriety and Bob Harris started siding with him over the writer, you know, and he was able to create X-Force. He created X-Force and some of those characters, I mean, read the first four issues of X-Force. They, uh, there's some good in there, but that's more enjoyable, bad action. But then again, it's building on the foundation of something else. Yeah. There is no foundation here. Yeah. You had a, is- you had established characters and you had they were um and he was taking what had he was tying it into something that had been established and that Chris Claremont and company and Louise Simonson and stuff had been building up. So you had characters like who were like Cannonball and Sunspot, etc., who had been there since nineteen eighty four or whenever the the new started so these guys you know i I couldn't tell if this was going to be the x factor of the young blood universe or if this was the x force or like you know i i honestly you know picking it up kind of blind like this didn't only got what I could from the first issue really you're right and because by the second two three and four just basically a bunch One of prolonged fight scene. Yeah, prolonged fight scene, and and there's in some cases very little continuity. Not not like overall continuity, like universal, but continuity between panels. It's like you know, all of a sudden now he's on the ground. Like where did this come from? You know, there's no, there's not a lot of fluid action, unless the person's coming at you from between the panels, and there's action lines behind it. So, I mean, he attempted characterization. Because Cold Snap and Seahawk are brothers and they don't get along. Yeah. And they're arguing in the first issue because apparently they've been sharing the same woman. <sighs> Which and, would have worked had he not had he not just dropped it all together. Yeah, and then but there but there's nothing to these characters. KO's like a martial artist. Mm-hmm. So I mean, who cares? Atlas can grow big. Again, who gives a crap? Yeah, I know. I know. And they fail spectacularly on their first mission, which should be interesting, 
but nothing is done with it because as soon as they're out from the rubble of that, genocide shows up and starts tearing up L.A., which, I might add, is virtually indistinguishable from D.C. in this comic. Yeah. (sighs) And then they get a spaceship at the end because why not? (laughs) Just... Okay. I mean, I, I could I could see like okay, man, I got this team, man, and you know they're associated with Young Blood, but he left Young Blood, and now he's doing his own thing. You got like you got a cold guy, you got a hot guy, and you got you got Battlestone, and you got a guy that can grow, and you know we got somebody that does similar has similar abilities to Superboy almost, and you know got all these people, man, and it's going to be even though she predates Superboy, I realize that. So. Yeah, yeah. Before anybody, before the people we were referring to earlier, right? Yeah, no, I know what you mean, though. But but it's just like, and, and man, and and they're going to fight this dude named Genocide, and then that's going to lead them to go into space, and it's going to be like you know when the X Men went into space. Remember how awesome that was? And then and then we're going to there's this other team named Birds of Prey, and they're going to show up, and it's just like, uh huh, uh huh, <laughs> uh huh, okay. Uh, where's the story? And there will be people that say, well, it doesn't need story. It's just action. Well, no, I need something. Yeah. You know, I need a little, you need to at least lie to me, at least. Yeah. Yeah. For the love of God and all that's holy. <sighs> and, I, and I think that's a good note to, to put the brigade away. <laughs> just, yeah. I, we, I, we will never know. have to do this again. <laughs> Actually, uh, on views to cover Youngblood's 25th anniversary, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we we have been talking. Granted, this. Well, we have been talking about doing Deathmate, and the length of time at which we've been talking about doing Deathmate is actually probably equivalent to the length of time it took Deathmate to actually come out. So that's appropriate. Um, I have joked in the past that we will do. Uh, the prologue. We'll do all the episodes except for a Deathmate Red. Put Deathmate Red out six months later. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll have, so we may return to these in a, in another sort of masochistic uh, um, uh, image image valiant type of thing. Although Deathmate's not as bad as this was. But um, but yeah. So uh, we, we're gonna we're gonna put the life all the way for now, and uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back to wrap things up. So stick around. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. 
The goal of Batgirl the Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spalai, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Batgirl Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Batgirl run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Batgirl Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. Your ass, he's gonna kick your ass, he's gonna kick your ass. Santa's coming and he's gonna kick your ass, cause you've always been a rotten little brat. Reindeer coming and they're gonna bite your ear, they're gonna chew your welcome mat, swallow your kitty cat. Reindeer coming and they're gonna eat your begonias, cause Santa hasn't fed them in a month. Santa's coming and he's gonna kick your ass, he's gonna kick your ass, he's gonna kick your ass. Santa's coming and he's gonna kick your ass Cause he's sick of shoveling snow and reindeer poo Elves are coming and they're gonna steal your turkey Wreck your TV, burn down your Christmas tree Elves are coming and they're gonna... And we are back one last time. Uh, the Festivus festivities as they are, are over. And uh, I just wanted to wrap things up um, by just taking a moment to wish everybody um, that is listening who's left uh, <laughs> a, a uh, happy holidays, uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, any, anything that you celebrate um, happy holidays. Uh, you have any grandiose plans this time around, anything that you particularly like doing every uh, holiday season that, uh, that you're looking forward to. Uh, I'm going to look forward to watching, you know, all the movies we watch. We've, we've already gotten National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation out of the way. So at some point we're going to sit down and, and my wife and I are going to watch Scrooge. Nice. And uh, Christmas Day, we're going to be watching a lot of the a lot of Henson stuff. So we're going to watch Evan Otter's Jug Band Christmas and The Christmas Toy, which is one of the creepiest uh, children's specials ever created because people die in it. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> okay, think Toy Story, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so this is 1989, so it's well before Toy Story. Okay. But imagine in Toy Story, if Buzz was not in the same place that Andy put him, Buzz would not be alive anymore. <clears throat> oh, God. And, and that's one of the aspects of this this special. Um, I, I, it's... It's, it's kind of funny because most Christmases I, 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 I get really excited. I listen to the, I, you know, I load up my iPhone with, yeah. with music and, you know, I have, you know, I, you know, I usually do a holiday special of one of my shows, which I'm completely ripping you off this year uh, <laughs> by doing a music countdown. Nice. Uh, so, uh, and, 
you know, but this year because I'm because of my job, I have to print Christmas cards. I'm kind of worn out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I, I, you know, it's it's you know, at some point, my wife and I are going to make cookies. Another thing we do is we go with my father and my uh, stepmother and my wife, and we go to this place in Georgia and go to the fabulous Knights of Lights, which is this like little thing where you ride along on a little trolley. Oh, cool. um, and there are like light displays and music and there's a tent and Santa Claus is there. And usually what I like about the Santa Claus there is he is not like mall Santa. He usually has like a long robe, like, oh. the, jet, like, like the overcoat Santa. Nice. Um, so, but I like the holidays. I, I really do. And apparently my wife is spoiling me this year. So you have that as well. Yeah, I do too. My my go to movie is uh, Christmas Story. I I saw that back in the theater. Um, Good lord! And it might have been on a re release because I was very young, um, so I don't know. But I do remember seeing it in the theater. I do remember having it on VHS. It was one of the few early VHS copies that we had. Have you um, seen the stills of Ralphie and Flash Gordon? No, I'll have to check that out. Oh, okay, look on the credits for a Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. And in the credits. Flash Gordon and Ming the Merciless are in, are mentioned. They filmed an entire scene where Ralphie imagines himself with Flash Gordon. Oh, really? I'll have and to they check cut that out. out of the film. I'll have to I'll have to check that out because I haven't. Uh, I've only I have never really gone beyond just watching the movie in terms of of. Uh, so I'll have to check that out. There's a musical uh, and a sequel. Oh, jeez! Actually, two sequels. Ay. No, I, I think I'll just stick to the original recipe here. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of this stuff. We're actually going to Las Vegas uh, again on uh, the 27th, so we get to fly out and uh, and and have a few days. And uh, but the lead up is pretty cool. I'm working all the way to the 20th, and um, I don't think my students are really going to be there on the 20th, so I, it'll be nice to just relax. But uh, but yeah, it'll it's. Um, you know, so far it's been just a lot of music and a lot of different TV specials. I love a Garfield's Christmas special. So that was, uh, it's a classic. <laughs> so we watched that the other night. So yeah, so I'm just, it's, it, I am, I am the same way with you as holidays. It's just one of those, those nice things and it can be stressful at times, but, but this year it's been particularly, uh, it's been, it's been more relaxing than I thought it would be because it's just been a, it's 2016 has been a crazy year overall. So, um, before you sign off, tell, uh, as you always do, uh, please let the audience know where they can find you. Well, um, views from a long box has been actually pretty consistent this year. Uh, I've missed, uh, uh, six or seven weeks, but normally there's been an episode on Tuesday. I just wrapped up a giant legends crossover, uh, which is like 13 and a half hours of audio. Uh, (laughs) I I haven't listened to part four yet, but I listened to the first three and it's good. Uh, it was a lot of fun. The music was a lot of fun to do for that. Um, so, uh, and, and I'm really glad that for Rob Kelly, if he's listening to this, that I was able to put a Eddie and the cruisers song, in conjunction with the fourth world for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's a views from longbox.com. Uh, Jeffrey Taylor and I are at some point going to get back to from crisis to crisis. Uh, but you have 201 episodes of that to listen to over at fortress of Bailey And every Tuesday night at Superman homepage.com. Uh, Steve Eunice and I do radio KAL live 10 30 Eastern 
Eastern Time, you can call in and talk to us. And uh, thank God we don't have to talk about Batman v Superman anymore because I'm kind of done. But that's that's pretty much where you can find me, really. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. This was this was a lot of fun. And uh, and happy Festivus. Happy Festivus to you too, sir. And uh, I will be back. I will be back in about a month with an episode. Um, well, it's either one of two episodes, uh, depending on how recording goes this week with with another guest host. I do have a Wonder Woman, sh- a solo Wonder Woman show coming up as well. So, um, but this will be the last one for 2016. And thank you again for all for listening during this year. And uh, I will see you next time. Take care and thanks for listening. Your ass, he's gonna kick your ass. Santa's coming and he's gonna kick your ass. Cause you've always been a rotten little. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness. Oh, Santa's coming and he's gonna kick your ass, he's gonna kick your ass, he's gonna kick your ass.